I wanted to begin this morning by asking you if you are a winner. <laughs> you, win the, you win the contest of the quickest answer to be, am I a winner? Thank you. I'm a winner. I was uh, thinking about winners and losers uh, in preparation for this message. And uh, so I went, I, I did some Googling and I found uh, a test. How about that? A test, and you can take this test and find out if you are a winner or not. <laughs> so I took this test and I found out that I am 82% a winner. And I thought, that doesn't feel like a being a winner to score 82%. I thought, I, it's a goofy thing, of course. And uh, it's a bunch of questions, and I don't know. It's, you, it's one of those mysterious internet tests. So your answers go into the deep well of the internet and come back and say, 82%. Winner. I thought, well, that's pretty good. Have you ever thought about what it takes to be a winner? You know, we had uh, we had the Winter Olympics recently. I didn't watch any of it, uh, but those people really want to win. Most of them. I read this other thing while I was googling winning. And it was an interesting study that had been done about how happy it makes people to win. And you know, in the Olympics, they have a first place, second place, and third place, gold, silver, bronze. And here's the interesting thing. If you win the gold, it makes you very happy. They evaluated this by looking at pictures of people who had just won, at the people on the podium. And apparently, science these days can look at a picture of you and tell you how happy you are. So, more internet marvels. And so they looked at these pictures, and the gold medalist was very happy. Of the three, the happiest. Wow, what a surprise. <laughs> but here's the funny bit. The silver medalists were happier than, I mean, the bronze medalists were happier than the silver medalists. Interesting. Because for the bronze medalist, to get the bronze medal was a win. But to get the silver medal was a loss. At least that's what the scientists claim to figure out by looking at a bunch of pictures of the medalists. But you know, to get on that podium in virtually any of the contests involved requires something like total commitment. 
you're, if you're going to win the gold medal in the Olympics in anything, it doesn't matter what it is, your life is absolutely 100% absorbed by whatever that is. You can't think about really anything else. You can't do anything except something that will contribute to that. Their, your whole orientation revolves around your sport and the possibility that you might win. People are completely committed. And doesn't that make you wonder why? Why do people go crazy in this way? Because that is crazy. Why? What is it about the wind? There's something they are pressing toward. Well, that is exactly what we just read about in the book of Philippians, in the thinking of the Apostle Paul, that was his attitude toward Christ. No matter anything else, his life was completely, utterly absorbed by the value of knowing Jesus. Completely. He said, everything else that I might count as valuable, I now count as trash compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Do I understand the surpassing value of knowing Christ? When I read Philippians chapter 3, which is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible because it makes this point, but when I read it, I think I don't understand it quite as well as he did. But it's something you press on in. It's something you move toward. And so however well I understand it today, I might understand it a little better by the end of the day. And the whole point is, how precious is Christ? I would tell you this, that is the whole point, period. If I ask the question, why does creation exist at all? The answer to that question is the surpassing value of knowing Christ. It's not just the point for me. 
or for you or for the church. It is the point of God's behavior in creation at all. He says, at the, when he's making the world, and when he comes to the point where now all creation is ready for what? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Jesus Christ is that. And of course, we exist for the glory of God in the man Jesus. And so when Paul says, everything else is trash compared to this, he's he's simply stating the facts as they are. Everything else is meaningless unless it's this the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And that, my friends, is the point of the book. It is because the writer of the book of Hebrews has Christ Hebrews finds that unimaginable. And so the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to get a group of people to notice the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And so to persevere in it. Just like Paul says, I press on. One thing I do. One thing I do. I just want to point out to everyone that whenever we're doing anything other than this, we're wasting time. Everything I do should be one form or another of this. Recognizing the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Well, so today, what I wanted to do was review the book of Hebrews so far. Because what we've, uh, where, where we are in the book of Hebrews is kind of at a turn, and he's going to move on you know, to another chapter in his argument for the surpassing value of Jesus. And so I thought it would be good this morning to just go through and notice these themes as they're portrayed. Because what we do as we're going along is we can get a little bogged down into the details. Like we've been talking about a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek and all (laughs) the little things involved in that. But we need to remember why that's meaningful in terms of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Well, so here's a summary of the book of Hebrews privilege and perseverance. That's actually the title of this whole teaching series, Privilege and Perseverance. Here's the privilege, being a Christian. 
being a Christian, and by that I mean someone who has in fact trusted in the Lord Jesus and what he has done for their standing before God. Being a Christian, association with Jesus is an immeasurable privilege. The supreme privilege of all privileges. If Jesus has anything to do with you, you win. And you are not an 82% winner because he didn't 82% die for you on the cross. You win. You possess the prize if you have him. There is no privilege you can name that is a higher privilege than your association with the Lord Jesus Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords, eternal Savior. And so, persevere. (laughs) Stick with him. Whatever it might cost, you must persevere in your fellowship with Jesus. If it costs you anything, it's far beyond worth it. You should pay attention. Here's what, here's what stick with Jesus means. Here's what persevere in your fellowship with Jesus means according to the book of Hebrews. It means pay attention to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. It says this, Repeatedly through the book of Hebrews. So we should pay closer attention to what we've heard in chapter 2. He says, what we've heard is God speaking to us in Jesus. That's chapter 1. And we should pay attention to Jesus. It says in chapter 3, again, consider Jesus. In chapter 12, fix your eyes on Jesus in order to run with endurance, the race that's set before you. Pay attention to him. Learn Jesus. Get to know Jesus. You know, we get to know each other. We know what it means to get to know a person. Get to know him. And getting to know him involves more than simply learning Biblical theology, it certainly involves that. That's how I know who he is. But getting to know someone involves talking to that person and talking to other people that know that person. Get to know him. Earlier this week, you might have noticed I had a birthday. So I'm now, how old am I? 62 years old. On my birthday, my brother called me. Nowadays, of course, the phone announces who it is. But when I answer the phone, there was, it could have been you know him or anyone using his phone, but as soon as I hear his voice, I know it's him. I know him. He knows me. We can immediately start the conversation we left off 
eight months ago, whenever the last time I talked to him was. I guess I just admitted I only talk to my brother every eight months. We can immediately pick up where we left off. We can start talking about things we have in common immediately. I know him. I recognize his voice. He knows me. He recognizes my voice. When I answer the phone, I say, hello. He's not wondering who it is. I also got a call from a customer service representative. I said, hello. They said, is this Douglas Searle? They don't even know not to call me Douglas. We get to know someone. We pay attention. The second thing in our perseverance is we draw near to God in Christ. And it is the capacity to draw near to God that he has provided that Do you see the privilege? I can go into God's throne room freely in Christ. Freely. I can address God as my Abba Father in Christ. God! And Jesus, of course, paid a very high price to purchase that privilege for me. Suppose I don't take advantage of it. Imagine me staying away, not praying. Well, there's only one thing you could call me, and that's something like stupid. I mean, that's the best thing you could say about me if I have that privilege and I don't take advantage of it. Draw near, that's persevering. Hold fast the confession of your faith in Jesus. Hold fast. So those things, pay attention, draw near, hold fast. That's the right response. So the whole book of Hebrews, it goes in like waves of privilege and perseverance. Privilege and perseverance to show you what a privilege it is that you can be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ and to encourage you on the basis of that to persevere. That does tell you that faith in Christ can be troublesome. It can bring difficulties. So, uh, I just want to go through the book, and there's an outline in the bulletin, and talk about the privilege and the perseverance. And uh, we'll try to do this fairly quickly. In chapter 1, we learn this. God has spoken to us in his Son. That's the very first sentence in the book of Hebrews. God's spoken in a lot of ways in old days. These days, God has spoken to us in his Son. In his son. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen him. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who makes God visible to human beings. 
Apart from him, we do not know God, cannot know God. God is out of our reach. Jesus makes God visible. Jesus is the very revelation of God. This is in his incarnation, in his association with humans, in his priestly service, in his sacrifice for sin, which he brings before God, in his ascension, to, according to the very first sentence, he's now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he ever lives, we read last week, to make intercession for us. God reveals himself to us. God lets himself be known Here's the thing about God. He wants to be known. He has determined to be known. And I'm not talking about some sort of intellectual, academic kind of knowledge. I'm talking about personal knowledge. I'm talking about the way you and I know each other. God seeks to be known. How do we know? He seeks to be known. Jesus, that's how we know. He is known in the man Jesus. Well, that leads us directly to the second thing we learn about Jesus, and that is Jesus is the consummate human being. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, made flesh. Jesus is one of us. And he's the only one of us who's perfectly one of us. I had a seminary professor blow my mind one day by talking about how Jesus was more human than I am. Because I think of being human as the broken version Well, let's imagine that I had this glass hole and a broken one. Which one is more a glass? Jesus is the consummate man, a human being, the perfect human being who did what human beings are designed for. He is perfectly walking in likeness to the Heavenly Father and so perfectly demonstrating His nature and character into the creation, bearing the image of God. Well, I'm made in the image of God, but it's much harder to see in my case because it is broken and polluted by my sin. And I was born broken. Jesus is the realization of humanity. We are restored in our humanity by going with him. In our fellowship with him, we 
become once again whole in our humanity. So, it's a great privilege. In chapter 2, we then read about Jesus being the pioneer of our salvation. This also emphasizes his humanity. What does it mean to be the pioneer? It means he's the one that goes first, that leads us in our salvation. <laughs> Jesus experiences our salvation by passing through death and being restored to life by trusting in the Father. Jesus, the man, walked by faith. And when he puts himself, well, when he allows himself to be placed on the cross and die, he is totally trusting God the Father. Completely. There's nothing he is not giving over to the Father. He is utterly, utterly, utterly relying on the promise of the Father to raise him from the dead. So he is the pioneer of our salvation. We read in chapter 2 that he is perfected through the things that he suffered. He is persevering in faith. He's the pioneer of our salvation. And then, in chapter 3 and 4, we go into a big challenge of how we ought to persevere in response to this. And then in chapter 5, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, in chapter 5 and chapter 7, we read about his priesthood. That's what we've been looking at for a while now. His priesthood. Jesus is our great high priest forever. <laughs> like every word in that sentence is absolutely huge. Jesus is our great high priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. And this is kind of what we looked at last week. He, in his priesthood, he restores fallen sinful people to wholeness by restoring fellowship with God, by actually justifying us through the satisfaction of God's wrath in his death, and by accompanying us into the very presence of God by his continuing intercession. That's a lot. That's so much. I wrote it down for you so you could remember it. How does he do that? He restores broken people to wholeness. He does that by restoring us to real fellowship with the living God who is the source of life. Apart from this, we're still dead. With this, we are alive again. So he restores our full humanity. How does he accomplish that? How does he make us able to fellowship with the living God? Because normally, sinful people in contact with God is deadly. God judges sin. 
with perfect righteousness. So how does Jesus account? Well, Jesus receives our penalty on our behalf. He lived a perfectly righteous life, always doing exactly what the Father wanted in every minute. From the day he was born to the day he died, and ever since then as well, he always perfectly obeys. He is perfectly righteous. Oh, according to the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. So Jesus actually accomplishes our justification. He gives us a standing of righteousness before God. He gives us a standing of righteousness before God. Because he has satisfied God's wrath for our sake. In his death. Well, so, okay, we have a standing of righteousness before God, but there's more. There's more. Because he... We just read in chapter 7 last week, ever lives to make intercession for us. You know, since he died for my sins, I've done some more. Sins, that is. And every minute of every day, the Lord Jesus says, For me, it's on me. I've covered that for him. Even when I am disobedient and don't even know I've done it. He ever lives to make intercession. And so he accompanies me in the presence of God. Really, it's better said the other way around. I can go there because I'm with him. Reminds me of that preacher who told the story of the thief on the cross. You remember this, right? You've seen this. It's on YouTube. You should go look it up. The guy, the thief on the cross who Jesus pardoned in response to his faith, as infinitesimal as that faith was. And the guy shows up at the pearly gates. So there's the angel, you know, checking people in. Says, why should we let you in? The thief says, well, I don't know. I don't know. The angel's thrown by this, thank you. Says, what do you mean you don't know? supposed to have an answer to this question. By the way, I should just tell you, I don't think this test at the gate actually exists, but in any case, it's good for the story. The angel says, well, come on, you got to have some answer. I don't know. I don't know. So the angel goes and gets his supervisor. Supervisor comes, why should we let you in? I don't know. Why should we let you in? So the supervisor's thinking, the supervisor says, well, are you familiar with the doctrine of justification by faith alone? 
Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Well, why should we let you in then? And the guy finally says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The only way you come is with him. There's nothing more to it. There's nothing more to it. We're always going around, you know, wanting to add a bunch of stuff. Like, maybe God will give me some credit for this or that and the other thing. I have all the credit I need already with Him. He's the source of eternal salvation. And every day when I come, that's still the answer. I might have been, well, I've been coming every few days or so into the God's presence since I was before I remember I think I was born again when I was five years old a long time ago and I go and I go and I I can talk to God like he's my own father and every time the only reason I can do that is because he's there, ever living, to intercede for me to this day. And so, this is the privilege of knowing Christ. It's like the privilege of being alive. The prize is to know Christ. We're pursuing a lot of other things, I think. We pursue a lot of other things. I'm out there every day trying to make the world behave according to my desires. Pursuing many, many different things. Okay. Okay. But you should stop and remember the prize is Christ. The prize is Christ. And when Paul remembered that, he said, you know, all those other things I've pursued in this life? Rubbish compared to that. Therefore, persevere. Persevere. In chapter 3, we read about persevering, about consider Jesus the apostle, that's the revelation of God, and high priest, that's the realized humanity of God in Christ, the apostle and high priest, consider Jesus. Persevere. It's really easy. I, and I'm just speaking from my own personal experience here. Maybe you're better at this than me. I really kind of hope so. Really easy to forget all about Jesus. in the pursuit of daily life. And, you know, that, that, that doesn't deprive you of Jesus. It's just a momentary loss. So remember, <laughs> remember, 
if you notice you're not remembering, remember. Consider Jesus. Think about him. Think about what he's done. In chapter 4, we had a warning that says, don't harden your heart like those Israelites did when they got right up to the promised land and said, no thank you. Well, actually, they didn't say no thank you. They just said no. We can't do it. Which is kind of the point of it. We're doing it because you can't do it, and it's all about demonstrating the greatness of God on behalf of his people, but we can't, okay, no. Don't, he says, don't do that. Don't look at the prize and then refuse it. Receive it. Don't harden your heart, but enter his rest. And in Christ, you have the final rest. We have yet to completely realize this rest, but that's where we live now, in him, in his rest. Resting from our works, according to chapter 4. We enter his rest, we hold fast our confession, and we draw near to the throne of grace. And that is right at the heart of all of this. In chapter 4, we draw near to the throne of grace. 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 God gave his law through Moses. He revealed his grace in Jesus. So we, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, and find help, grace to help in time of need. Now we come to God for help and have a positive expectation. In chapter 6, we also had this warning about uh, perseverance. It says, press on to maturity. Well, here's what I think. Press on to maturity is a way of summarizing. Consider Christ, draw near, hold fast. Consider Christ, draw near to God in Christ, hold fast to the confession of our hope, our faith in him. Press on. So all of these things are simple reflections to note, for you to notice how utterly fantastic it is to have a friendship with God in Christ by the Spirit, by the way. To notice how fantastic that is and to just live there. Not to ignore the God who has gone to such trouble to invite you. 
So the question is, do you recognize the prize? Do you recognize the prize? When we recognize the prize, we'll pay any price. Of course, Jesus has already paid the price. But I will stick with him, whatever it might cost me. Jesus told a couple of parables, you might remember. He told this parable of this guy who he's walking in a field one day and he finds a pearl. Pearls don't belong in fields, but somehow there's a pearl in this field. He finds a pearl of great value. What does he do? He goes and sells everything to buy the field. He recognized the prize, and Jesus is the prize. That parable is the kingdom of heaven is like that. So the question is, do you recognize the prize? Will you treasure Christ? Will you treasure Christ? And that really is simply a matter of continuing to walk in faith in Christ, even when that might become difficult. Sometimes when we live in a troubled world, we think, is it real? Is it real? It calls things into question. We wonder about the goodness of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the final answer to that question. You can't really see Christ and continue to wonder about the goodness of God. He's good. He's good to you. He's gracious to you. And he invites you to draw near and hold fast in him. Father, we give you thanks for this goodness that you have revealed to us, the way that you have shown us your work to reconcile all things to a righteous, holy, good God. Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts and minds. Help us to see him clearly and so to press toward him, to trust in him. Thank you for this great love. Lord, we pray that in understanding it, we would become real reflectors of it, that we would become generous like him, sacrificially loving like him. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.